hey, hey, this is Takara, and you are listening to A Letter to My Sister podcast. You are in the right place if you are raised to be a strong, independent woman who didn't have to depend on anybody for anything, but then you realize there were some lessons that you didn't quite get as you were going along the way. We often go through life the best way that we know how, and we don't even realize that there's a better way. So in here, there will be some raw and real conversations surrounding life lessons about the things that we wish that we had known, maybe about self, love, money, and even our careers. So if you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and I would love for you to leave a rating and review as well. So now that we've got all that out the way, let's chat, sis. Hey sis, I got a combo for you today. So not only are we talking about self, embracing your unique and authentic self, we're also going to talk about relationships because we need to show others how to treat us right the first time. And so I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode that I'm having with Tanita about The Recovering Strong Friend. Last season, I talked about the strong woman a little bit and about our boundaries and just about redefining exactly what a strong woman is because we want that title to be of service to us. We don't want it to be something that is a disservice or something that hinders us where we actually start to sacrifice self and relationships just to hold on to the title. So listen up so you know exactly what I mean. Tanita, welcome to A Letter to My Sister podcast. I am so excited to be talking today about the recovering strong friend. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So girl, let's hop right on into this conversation. So the very first question that I have for you is, I know that you describe yourself as the recovering strong friend. So what did a strong friend mean to you before? And now I'm interested to know what it means to you now. So in the past, being a strong friend meant being everything to everybody. That included my family, my circle, my friends. I was showing up for everyone despite my own feelings. I was scared to say no, set boundaries. Um, I really dealt with people pleasing. And basically, if you were my friend and I loved you, I would support Everything you had going on, if it was a new job, if it was a new business, I was there to help and support. And then I had to realize at the end of the day, I wasn't fulfilled. I was tired. I was too exhausted to pour into myself at the end of the day, pour into my own business, my own purpose. So now being a recovering strong friend, Because initially, I love to help people. That, I feel like, is one of my strengths. But everyone is not my assignment. Everything is not my assignment. So currently, I have to make sure that I am my own priority. I have to set boundaries. It is okay to say no. It is okay not to be at every event. And I'm just choosing me now. I hear that. I love that part where you said, honey, everybody ain't my assignment. (laughs) They're not. They're not. Everybody is not my assignment, but it seems like sometimes we as strong women, it's like, we want to save the world though. So we take on everybody as our assignment. 
everybody and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then we wonder why we overwhelmed and came and can't sleep at night. <laughs> All right. So then where did you get the idea of what a strong woman or what a strong friend is supposed to be? So for me, it's the strength of my mother, my grandmother's aunt society. As black women, we tend to take care of everything and everybody. And so with that, we tend to our men, we tend to our families, and we do everything for everyone and we show up last for ourselves. We have been seen to fight at home, we fight at work, we fight to be seen, we fight to be heard, and it's just being a caregiver of America, pretty much. So it's one of the things that I've seen as Black women in America, just showing up for everyone, being there for everyone. So I'm curious to know, because now this is just my theory that I've come up with as I was talking to, talking with family and talking with friends about it, is when we get this idea of what a strong woman is, it's not that it was told to us. It's not that someone said you need, in most cases, that you need to be a strong woman. It's just that we looked at our parents as the example and we're taking on their mannerisms to say, okay, well, I never saw mama do this. I never saw grandma do this. I never saw whoever do that. So therefore, because I've never seen them maybe show a particular kind of emotion that people would say is weak, we automatically assume, oh, well, that's how I'm supposed to be because I never seen nobody else in my family do that. I can agree to a certain extent. It's a new day and it's a new time. So for us as Black women in this time, we have to stand up for ourselves. We found our voices, we're setting boundaries, and we need to make ourselves a priority. I had a coworker tell me I was dealing with some challenges at work. I work in diversity and inclusion. And he told me that we're a resilient people, which meant that I needed to continue to fight to be seen, fight to show up. And I was like, just because we're resilient doesn't mean I don't get tired. Like who's fighting for me? Mm -hmm. And if I don't speak up for myself, if I don't show up for myself, then I'm going to continue to be the victim of trying to be the strong friend, the strong person for everybody. Me, I'm the oldest of three. So I have two younger brothers. And so it was instilled in me in a young age, like Tanita, you only have your brothers, you and your brothers. That's who you can rely on. And as a child, I took those words and I was like, great, I need to take care of my brothers. And so (laughs) that was like my lifelong mission. If my brothers need me, I'm there for them. If my daddy needs me, I'm there for him. If my mom needs me. So it's to a point where I had to say enough is enough. I so relate to that because my family know anything pop off. Takara's on that plane. Okay. Exactly. They know who to call. Right. (laughs) They know. Right. I see you tomorrow. I don't care if I'm 600 miles away, 700, 800 miles away. I'll see y'all tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. What happened or what made you realize, all right, Tanita, something has got to change because this ain't it. So when I say enough is enough, it was a hard pill to swallow. So both of my grandmothers passed away within a year or two apart of each other. And I was mirroring the same situations on both sides of my family. 
For example, my father's mother died. I was fighting his battles. I was fighting battles that didn't even concern me. I am the grandchild, but I was showing up for my father. I did not show up to work because I wanted to be there with my dad. I was making arrangements and I actually had a presentation with my boss. Let's just say it was on a Friday. Let's say my grandmother passed on a Thursday. Don't remember the exact date. So I had a presentation with my boss two levels up that Friday. When I found out my grandmother passed away, we needed to go to the mortuary the next day. I called my boss, sent him a text. He was in Texas. I'm in Los Angeles. So it was a time difference. Hey, I can't make it tomorrow for the presentation. He said, fine, no worry. Take care of what you need to take care of. I called my dad. He didn't know that I had a presentation, but my dad knows that I have a job. So when I told my dad I'll be there, and then he reached back out and said, oh, it's okay. Um, Such and such is going to attend. And I was like, but you just called and said you needed me there. And I got so frustrated because he didn't even consider what I had to do. Like I had a presentation for work. This is my livelihood. But since my father needed me, I canceled what I needed to cancel to be there for him. And he didn't even like consider that. And so that was just one incident where it really hurt my feelings, but then even the attacks with the family. So versus them going through my father, they would go through me. Now, when my maternal grandmother passed away, it was the same thing. Family started to um, attack me versus my mother. I was standing up for her. And then I had to look at it when I was unable to sleep. I was unable to work. I was having nightmares. I dealt with different anger and hate towards my family when I was fighting people's battles, for example, my mother's battles, my father's battles. And I just had to take a step back because I said, you know what? If I fall out in this floor tomorrow, who's going to fight for me? It's not going to matter. None of this is going to matter. But it was just a tough pill to swallow, being a responsible one, showing up, always available for everyone else, especially dealing with not even my own emotions of dealing with their deaths. So it was hard. And I definitely see how how that can be difficult. It's funny. It's almost it's almost like you and I are living parallel lives because I also have um, <laughs> I also have two younger brothers, and which first of all, everybody know, don't mess with my brothers at all. Don't mess with none of them. And 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 I tease my dad because essentially I tell people I have two sets of siblings. So <laughs> my um, younger two. We're like about, there's about three years in between each of us. One is 35 and one is 31 now. But then there's the second set. <laughs> <laughs> the second set is 14 and seven. Like right yeah. now? Yeah. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm old enough to be their mama. <laughs> I was going to say that because they're babies, but okay. <laughs> so I had to get them in check real quick too like first of all first of all and then and it's funny because we had all these boys and then my sister came along so it was girl boy 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 girl I said all right well you started with a girl so I'm guessing you're gonna end with a girl and my little sister just got my dad just wrapped (laughs) (laughs) so I had to get in her face I said look here little girl we not mm -mm. (laughs) we not gonna do this We, we not going to do this. But then also, um, when, when my grandmother passed, I was also on the first, first plane out. I was, I had already told my, my coworkers, my boss, I was like, Hey man, (laughs) I got to go. 
I'm going to be out. And then even still, same thing. The women were mainly the ones who were kind of taking care of all of the arrangements and kind of getting everything. Like I was the one who ended up writing my grandmother's um, obituary. And I, I just be there. I, everybody know you need something? Cigar, she got it. <laughs> she got the it. The pass was at my house. The service was at my Yeah, no, I didn't plan that one. That I didn't do that one. They they had that one on lock. But it's funny, though, because what, what I've always said is, um, and I have to be careful how I say it because I always have to preface it, but essentially what I really want to say, unfiltered, is that it's almost like being a strong woman is played out. Like it, it's not what we as a society have seemingly kind of made it seem like, especially with how it's portrayed on on TV or how someone is portrayed to be a strong person. Like everyone says you're so strong because you you basically been through trash and you're not <laughs> crazy. And it's like, oh, you're so strong. But I was like, but to me, the dark side of that is essentially what you're telling me is that a strong woman is a woman who lacks boundaries because we have not enforced how people are to treat us because we just let people come in and out. We let them call whenever they want to inconvenience us whenever they want to. And they just know, well, she's going to be there. She's going to be there. So I think that for me, that was one of the things like, all right, if you're going to get your life together, your boundaries are the first thing that you need to put in place. And I know that you talked about boundaries before. So what were kind of some of the boundaries that you put in place, or maybe even what are some of the steps that you took in your recovery process of being a strong friend? So for one, it's, I had to realize my dad, friends, people were, I taught them how to treat me. So for example, working from home in COVID, my dad feels because I'm working from home that he can call at any time, that he can pop up and say, hey, do you have something to eat? I am on a call. Like I boundaries, I had to take my keys back from my house because he would just come over and I'm like, dad, I am a grown woman, like real, real grown. Don't just pop up (laughs) with me. (laughs) Don't do it. So... With that, it's just like not answering my phone. But then inside, I'm like, oh my God, is it important? Does he need me? And I'm like, Tanita, if he calls back, if he texts you, then you can like pause. But I was always accessible when my daddy needed me, when my younger brother needed me, my mom, like whoever, I was there. And so that's why I say recovering, because those are the things that I have to challenge myself on or work on every single day. Just because he's calling me during work hours, if I'm not available, I'm not available. I may send him a quick text. Hey, is it important? Hey, do you need me? Another thing, um, just not showing up for everyone. Like I mentioned before, I do not have to be at every event. I don't have to show up just because I'm not there doesn't mean I don't support you. So I just had to know that it is okay to say no. It is okay to ruffle some feathers. Um, It is okay to do the work. It's painful at times. I had to realize that I was showing people how to treat me. I was trying to please people. I was serving from a void. So I was serving because I wanted them to like me. I was serving them because I wanted them to love Tanita. I wanted to feel important. The void was my insecurity of not feeling enough. 
So I have on my wall affirmation that says, I'm enough, chosen, and loved. So I had to start telling myself, I'm enough, period, when I show up. I don't have to overcompensate for you to love me, for us to be friends, for me to be in this romantic relationship. I'm chosen. God has chosen me. He said that I am fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are his works. And my soul knows that very well. Let's just start there. He, the creator said that about me. So I had to speak those words into myself. And then I'm loved. Like I had to realize and ask myself, like, do you love yourself? And that was me making myself a priority. That was me getting the help that I needed. It was not always pretty. It wasn't always fun, but some things had to come up and I had to deal with them and I had to deal with myself. So once you put these boundaries in place, I'm curious to know how did your family, your friends, your coworkers, how did they react to these new sets of boundaries that you put in place for someone who used to be a thousand percent accessible to now not being as accept- accessible as they would like. It was an adjustment on both sides. So my younger brother, it's so funny because like I had to like verbalize like, oh, if he needs me, I'm there. I do this. I do that. He's my baby. He's over 30 years old. That's a grown man. He is not your baby. (laughs) So he started to hear and he's like, no, Tanita, I stopped calling you when I needed something. Like it challenged him to step up like immature in different areas. And even like to see that growth in him, that's why I said everyone is not my assignment. Was I hindering his growth? Because he knows his sister has his back and will always have his back. But I was baby and a grown man. So that could have been hindering him. So some friendships, some relationships, I had to let go of some romantic relationships. Like I was engaged and it was not, the relationship was no longer serving me. We were on two different paths and I had to let that go. Some friendships, when you stop saying no, when you stop showing up the way that you did, unfortunately, sometimes friendships end or they take a pause. But with that, I had to walk alone and I had to continue to do the work even when it got lonely. Did you find that because you are single or because you don't have any children that people seem to rely on you more because maybe they felt that you had more time? 100%. Like they wanted (laughs) to monopolize my time, like schedule. Like, okay, well, you could go here with me. You could do that. We could do this. And I was like, hmm, I work. I started a business in a pandemic. I volunteer. I started a new job in a new industry in a pandemic. And it's still like people wanted me to show up. And I just had to gradually start taking a step back. Like, okay, I can't go to every service. I need to get some rest. I need to pour into myself. And I would hear the comments like, oh, um, you have so much free time because you have um, you don't have kids. And I was like, hmm, that's false. <laughs> so yes, 100%. Right. Who told you that? All right. So we talked about family. So I imagine this uh, bled over into your work environment as well. So now how did this translate for you in your work environment? 
So it was a blessing. Earlier this year, um, I got a new job, new industry. And what I was told is that you need to set boundaries right away. Like people told me that at this organization, they work all the time. Like they work at night. Like you have to say like, these are my work hours. And I was just like, okay. So I kind of came in with the boundaries versus like all over the place. One thing that works for me as well is like the work from home. If I need to wake up earlier, because it is a global company, it's a global role. So sometimes I have calls at six in the morning. If I have a call at six in the morning, I may log off at three or four o'clock that day. I may have a call with China at 7 p.m. my time. So it's like I balance my schedule. So I'm not sitting at my computer from 7.30 in the morning to seven o'clock at night. So I have the flexibility to move in and out, but it's it helped me that I went into it with boundaries because people were like telling me like, you need to stick to your boundaries. You need to do this. And I was like, Oh, this must really be an issue. But I saw how you can easily get caught up in the emails and the initiatives and the projects. So I just went into it setting boundaries. Okay. That's good. Did you find that as you set these boundaries that some people were like, why, what, what do you mean? <laughs> explain this to me why why do you what no (laughs) I guess because even if it happens I don't it like goes it's over my head like because I have a list I'm doing the best that I can and if and I was literally I asked somebody like how do you keep up with all your emails and I was like if they need you they'll send you a second email and I was like you know what thank you for that feedback and see another thing it that helps me my previous job, I had a work phone. So I had my first personal phone and I had my work phone. Now we don't have work phones. Like we send emails. We have like teams where we can send message, chat and call. But that helps me because before I would be on the weekend responding to emails because my cell phone was like connected to me. It was in my purse. And so I was always responding to work emails. So the luxury is not having a work phone now. So um, yeah, that's another way to set boundaries. <laughs> Yes. I Now that one, I do completely agree with because I had to, I was talking to a cousin the other day and that's kind of what she was saying was that, well, I'm not at work, but they text me uh, when I leave work and they're texting me over the weekend and telling me about so-and-so and so-and-so. I said, and what you going to do? You at the house, they are there. Like they got to learn how to handle the situation, if if they're in charge, let them be in charge. There you go. Because when you on vacation, they can't, don't call me on vacation. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you will get instant voice message because uh, the phone will be off. <laughs> and I have a friend, she's so funny because she has a work phone and a personal phone. So her boss would call her on her personal phone. And if it was a personal conversation question, she engaged when it goes to work, she shuts it down. Then the next day she's like, oh, such and such. Like she follows up, like she has clear boundaries. And I was like, you know what? I like that. Like, this is personal. This is work. Like, let's, you have to stick to those boundaries because if not, you're teaching them how to treat you. And then you're going to be on their beck and call 24 seven. And that's not okay. Yeah, especially now that we are working from home, it's yeah. like almost the boundaries are blurred because at least in your mind, you're mm-hmm. going to work, you're sitting in an office, you're at a desk, 
you leave work, you get in the car, that's kind of like your time to unwind. And then you get home and you're like personal mode. But now that we're working from home, you can show up in your pajamas if you don't have to be seen on camera. And then next thing you know, maybe you decided to take three hours for lunch and now you're working three hours over. And next thing you know, you've been at the computer all day. So at first, when they was only getting a solid eight hours out, you now they get about 12 <laughs> to 13 because you done lost track of time. Exactly. So I, I feel like in this environment, it's very easy, it's easy. Yeah, for those boundaries just to slide because now you're you're in the, the comforts of your own home. I agree. So at one point, you said that you kind of did some some introspection and you said what you realized is that you were kind of looking for love from other people and that you didn't quite feel like you were enough. So once you started setting these boundaries, once you saw how people started responding, how then did you start to feel about Tanita or how did Tanita start to change once all of these boundaries and these newfound relationships started to form? So basically, I had to continue to show up for myself. I had to continue to do the work and also get out of my comfort zone. So for me, it was like speaking over myself, like getting, waking up in the morning, looking at my quotes, uh, have different scriptures at my desk, just speaking over myself, knowing that I'm enough, I'm equipped, I have what I need, and just know that God is doing a work in me and trying to, you can't please people. At the end of the day, people are very fickle. They're in their emotions. <laughs> we could be very selfish. And I'm not talking about everyone. I'm talking about myself as well. But for <laughs> me, God is consistent. He is who he is. So my goal now is to please him versus trying to please people because their emotions change. So one thing what worked for you yesterday may not work for you today. And so being caught up in that cycle of the up and down the roller coaster, trying to please please people that may not always be there or that are not even assigned to my purpose. So I just had to learn the hard way. A lot of bumps and bruises, a lot of crying, a lot of healing. To heal and to do the work is not a pretty process. Things come up from your childhood and you're like, wow, I didn't even consider how that played a role. So for me, I just remember I had a growth on my neck. And it was the size of a grapefruit. Mind you, I saw it. Like I knew something visually was off, but um, I just didn't pay attention to it. Like I was ignoring it. Like, oh, like something's on my neck. Like, why is my neck? Does my neck look like this? So what I tried to do, and that's like not dealing with the issue. I started wearing my hair in different styles, trying to camouflage it, um, wearing big jewelry. But I was so busy chasing people, friendships, relationships, titles, positions at work that I did not take the time to deal with my own health. And it wasn't until my beautician like sent me a DM, like I posted a picture and she was like, what's going on with like, what's going on? Like, is everything okay? And she like mentioned the growth and I was offended. I had the audacity to get offended. Like, no, she didn't call me out. (laughs) And I was driving to work and I started having an anxiety attack because what I was ignoring what I was trying to mask, it was still coming out and people were able to see it. 
but no one called me out on it. I was sitting there looking across from people and they were like, yeah, something looked off, but I just didn't know. Like people didn't take the concern to say, Tanini, you may want to get that checked out. Are you okay? What's going on? And so I literally was driving to work, having an anxiety attack. I had to do a U-turn versus going to work. I went to the hospital and so they were looking into it. They wanted to know like if it was cancerous. And so I had to do several different tests, but the growth, it grew so large. Like it wasn't like when I say the size of a grapefruit, it wasn't like you can see the full grapefruit. It actually started, it was like in my throat. And so basically I had to have surgery and I just, it was like spiritually for me. I wasn't speaking up for myself and that growth was actually killing me. Like it was blocking my vocal cords. Like literally before I went under to have surgery, they were concerned that once they give me the medicine, if it like relaxes, they said like it may block my breathing tube that they, um, if I wake up, I may have to have a cut on my neck for them to put a breathing tube down my throat. And like, for me, it just spoke volumes because one, my health is serious. Two, I was ignoring it. And then three, I wasn't speaking up for myself. I was literally ignoring it and it was literally choking me out. And so from that situation, I just had to deal with some things. I had to get a life coach. I had a therapist. I had an executive coach for work. I had to do some spiritual healing. I had to deal with the loss of my child. I was so deceived that I was crying for other people that were raped, that were abused, but I was so deceived not to realize that I was also abused at the age of 18. And so as I was doing that healing, things started to come out. Like I was like, no, it's my fault. And then people were like, no, Tanita, it actually wasn't your fault. You were 18. This person was about 25. Like, And so that was another thing where I was like, wow, like this narrative that I told myself and this secret that I tried to hide, it was actually killing me because I wasn't using my own voice. And I picked up different things, mechanisms to try to protect myself. In all actuality, I was just causing more pain to myself because I wasn't dealing with the root issue. And so for that, I buried my own pain. And it wasn't until couple of years ago, like mid thirties, where I had to start dealing with the issues that were showing up in different areas of my life. So I had to do some healing and it was a tough process. That's such a powerful analogy that you gave regarding how, when we don't take care of our internal selves, it manifests externally and very quickly. And even though the thing that is bothering us internally may not necessarily kill us, the thing that manifests externally absolutely will. And so um, as a nurse, I'm passionate about negative emotions simply because I have seen the effects that it takes, particularly on women, Mm -hmm. because historically... For most of my patients who had open heart surgery, the vast majority were men. As a matter of fact, I only remember, I believe, two women having open heart surgery. The rest were men. And that was my four years that I worked on that floor. But people that came in for for chest pain, for heart attacks and all of that, were stressed out women. 
<laughs> with high blood pressure. Sure. And so, yeah, and they would go down, they would get their test and, you know, we would check and see if the if the arteries were clogged or what was going on and all of that was good. And as soon as I would see their test results and see that everything was clear, my next question was always, all right, what's going on at home? And it was always something going on at home. Somebody's child was stressing them out. Some sibling was stressing them out. Some parent, some funeral arrangement. It was always something. And I would tell them, you have got to get that under control because you are so stressed out right now that you are about to stroke out from stress. Wow. Because according to these test results... Your veins are clear. You shouldn't be having chest pain. You shouldn't be having any pain at all. So that tells me that now it's stress. And even even so, like, you know, your parents always tell you, sit up straight, get to make sit up tall and, and everything else, because it's so you, you know, you don't slouch and you know get bad posture and all of that. But I even had a patient who we thought was having a heart attack. <laughs> They had they had chest pain. They had all kinds of things going on. And one of the doctors just so happened to say, hold on, let me, hold on. And he said, I want to try something else on you first, because I, I think he used to kind of be into like, like a chiropractor mm-hmm. and, and all of that. All the man needed was a simple adjustment, adjustment. in his back because everything else was pulling. And then I, I used that because I'm like, man. How many of us just need this one simple adjustment because we have this one thing out of whack that's pulling everything else and we're ignoring it like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But the longer you ignore it, it's like the worse it gets. Wow. (laughs) Listen, I went into a deep dive into all of this one day. I read this book called Deadly Emotions and this doctor talks about how every negative emotion can affect a different part of your body in a different way. And one of the examples that he gave was this woman who ended up um, getting a divorce and she was mad. Oh, she was mad, bitter about it, bitter, sour. She cussed the man out and all kinds of things. And as time progressed, she continued to harbor all of that anger. And it was like, she started to kind of you know, get that like hunchback that people get. Her back started to spasm. She started to get arthritis, like literally all this ball of pain that she was holding in, her body manifested all of that. And I was like, see, and I was like, you know what? I said, this is probably why the Lord told us, don't let the sun go down on your wrath Mm -hmm. because you can't be going to sleep with all of those negative emotions because it's going to mess with you internally that's deep look should we call this the dark side of being a strong woman i don't know (laughs) it's like it's a thing like it's serious like yeah i have had like getting dizzy and just it's like stress and it's like light sensitivity and i i go get blood work my iron everything is normal and i'm like what is it and then she said are you stressed Oh, did you start a new job? Oh, are you eating? Do you drink water? Oh, I have back-to-back meetings. Like, 
once again, that's not taking care of yourself. That's not making yourself the priority. If it's even having a water bottle and it's like hearing my dogs drink water, it's like, girl, you better drink some water. So it's just putting measures in place to remind myself. One thing I used to um, tell people at work is, you know, you'll have those people that like don't take vacation, don't take sick time, overly committed for the job. And it's just like, you know what? If you pass away today, they will have somebody in your seat in a, in a couple of days. And it's a sad reality because it's business. It's not personal. So it's just like, why give your all to this company? It's, yeah, we got, we have to do better. <laughs> the interesting thing about all of this is that this is only a, a U.S., an American way yes. of life. I just came from Europe and the whole state will take a vacation. The whole state. Like everyone knows during a certain time during of, of the summer for four weeks, you, you just not going to get no work done. You're not. Right. Everybody's gone. Everybody's on vacation. And in Europe, you know, they, they take the Christmas season. Wow. Seriously. They have holiday markets there's all of these festivities going on. Oh, Depending on what country you are in Europe, you can tour people's houses because they have made all of these decorations. Let me tell you what's not going to get done. Work. <laughs> <laughs> Work. We had an issue um, while I was in Germany with, with our car in which we had to get the window replaced. Uh -huh. Of course, this happened, I think, on like December 23rd. Guess what didn't get fixed till like after New Year? The car. Oh. So luckily we had a second car, but literally everyone we called, they said, oh no, we're shutting down for the holiday. <laughs> oh no, we're not open tomorrow. You, I mean, you can bring your car in, but you're not going to get the car back until after the new year. <laughs> and even, um, like even for work, they, they listen, they will put an out of office message in so quick. <laughs> I, I'm out for the next four weeks. Wow. I will return every message when I get back. And that's really what made me kind of slow down and appreciate life in Europe. You could instantly tell, of course, well, besides my skin color, okay. but you could instantly tell <laughs> in Europe who was American and who wasn't at a restaurant because the Europeans really believe in sitting down and having that face-to-face -face and that family time. Wow. No one has their phone out. No, like it's, it's not uncommon for you to sit in a restaurant for three and four hours. They don't rush you at all. And they just enjoy their time. Wow. Yeah. They just enjoy it. And we, and we sit up here playing Candy Crush, <laughs> looking on the phone. <laughs> and that, and I'm so glad that I went over there because I was like, you know what? And this is what you need to learn because you can't be on 24 seven all the time. You have to take a break. You have to be able to re-energize yourself so that you can go to work fresh and you're not like looking <laughs> like Mr. Slowpoke or snapping at people because you haven't had a break or what, like enjoy the time. Like you, you can't get the time back. It's so funny that you said that because I was actually in Greece a month ago. Um, I went on vacation. I went to Santorini and- and the pictures were lovely, let me say. I did see them. That red popped, okay? The red popped. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. But for me, 
that downtime like it was actually a vacation and I wasn't going to go because I was like, it's COVID. People are going to say this. And it's like, you know what? God made a way for me to go. I I'm vaccinated. I have my test. I, you know, I had to get tested multiple times and, you know, still practicing, you know, different measures. And just to have like that downtime, that quiet time, um, able to journal, just plan being still I was able to get like poured into refresh in like a way that I haven't in so long. And I was like, man, it was so needed. And I feel that I would have missed out on that opportunity if I would have been considering everyone else's feelings like, oh, well, this person may not feel, you know what? I have to do what's right for me in the timing that I have. So I can definitely relate to that. Absolutely. That rest is important. I Honestly, <laughs> I use this whole summer practically to rest. I was gone practically all of, all of August. I think I went back to work for like a week. Then I went off again. Then I came back to work for another week. Then I went off again on another vacation. But now I think I spent too long on vacation because I got up and I was like, what is work? Why do I have to work? What is this? Why? Why? (laughs) Why? And then I started to think of of what what is the real that goes around like what's your dream job and it's like honey I I have no dream job exactly. I do not dream of labor no <laughs> yeah I do not dream of labor and I'm like ooh what I gotta do so I don't have to do this all of my days because I loved my vacation I loved hanging out with family I loved hanging out with friends I loved not having to wake up early I got to find a way so that I can do this. And like enjoy, like really enjoy life. And and I was reading something else and it was like, I just want to talk to the person who uh, decided that we would retire at 65. Like, I just want to talk to them. I'm not going to lay hands on them. I'm not going to do nothing like that. I just want to know how they came up with the number 65. Cause so, so you mean to tell me I got to work from 18 to 65 to enjoy 20 years? I don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. Not at all. And we have so much long to go. <laughs> right. Well, we gonna we look, we're gonna have to figure out how to get out of this thing sooner because I need more vacation days. Exactly. More vacation days. Well, I have loved us talking about the recovering strong friend and the boundaries, the dark side and the good side, because of course there's always a good side to it as well with being the strong recovering that the strong friend with some good boundaries in place. So mm-hmm. the last question that I would have for you is that if you could give one piece of advice to our sisters out there about being a strong friend, what would that be? Hmm. First, I would say stop investing in everyone else's dream, purpose, vision, assignment. The list goes on. Learn to choose you, love you, do the work, heal you. (laughs) And um, it's not going to be easy. Keep showing up and fighting for you. You're worth it. That's good. So stop investing in everyone else. Choose you and then love you. Keep showing up for you because you are absolutely worth it. I mean, like you said, if you're gone, who... (laughs) Who else is going to be there? 
who else is going to be there? So we got to take care of ourselves first so that we can make sure that we're showing up, but we're showing up in our best light and revitalizing fully rested. <laughs> there you go. We only have one life. <laughs> Hello, one life, one body. Man. <laughs> Well, Danita, it has been a pleasure. I will make sure that I let everyone know how they can get in contact with you and then um, put your bio at the end so that people know exactly how amazing this recovering strong friend is. Well, thank you very much. I had a good time and it's so funny to hear our parallels. So yeah, <laughs> this is going as well. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do this again. <laughs> exactly. I love this conversation that I got to have with Tanita. It was really like talking to an old girlfriend and she and I have talked on the phone several times before, but as you can see, we lived kind of like parallel lives, just the things that she had experienced and the things that I have experienced. So hopefully now you have a clearer understanding of what I meant by viewing the strong woman from a place of empowerment and viewing it from a positive light and more so not from the point to where we are sacrificing ourselves, our health, our relationships, and all of those things for the sake of being a strong woman. All right, so let me tell you a little bit about Tanita, our recovering strong friend, so y'all know who she is and how to find her. Tanita, blogger, coach, motivational speaker, diversity and inclusion leader, and most importantly of all, humble servant. Tanita Ballard is a multifaceted leader that wears many hats on any given day. The common thread is service. She is a follower of Christ and allows him to direct her path. During the day, she's a diversity and inclusion leader where she advocates and leads strategy for diverse segments at a global technology company. She's been in a diversity field for over eight years and corporate America for over 18. Come on, somebody. In the midst of a global pandemic, she started a meal prep business called Season to a T LLC. The company was birthed from the need of elderly people in her community. So the foundation is providing meals to her community and paying homage to her grandmothers. In March of last year, her business expanded to a blog. Her tagline is that she brings comfort to the strong friend by feeding them spiritually and physically. The blog is the spiritual side of the company where she likes to motivate her audience by combining her everyday experiences with divine direction from the Lord. She also serves in her church, Crossing Ministries in Compton, California, and Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So as y'all can see, she is doing a lot of great things in her community and everything that she does is about service. So where can you find Tanita? You can find her at her website, www.seasoned2at.com. And you can also find her on Instagram by the same name, Seasoned2at. Per usual, I will have all of this information for you in the show notes, but make sure y'all look her up go to the blog, go to Instagram, follow her, do all of those wonderful things and let her know that you listened to this episode. So sis, there is no one like you. There is no one out here that can do the things that you do. So show up, let your light shine bright and never dim it for anyone. Until next time, 
Bye.